most men want to avoid cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's. But I don't think they know how, and I don't think they know that once you have a disease like Alzheimer's, there's no cure. On this podcast, we're talking about how to prevent and lower the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's and keep your memory going strong for as long as possible. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal and intention to help you with your urological function and live better with age. Today is a segment that we're going to talk about as it relates to better with age. And one of the things that most guys really, really are afraid of. So in my experience with thousands of men that I've seen clinically and professionally, there's one thing that they're afraid of. Of course, they're all afraid of PSA and high PSA and prostate cancer. But aside from that, one of the things everyone says is, you know, I definitely would not want to lose my memory. I definitely wouldn't want to have Alzheimer's disease. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about brain health, cognition, so keeping your ability to recall information when you need it, your, your ability to for executive functioning, and prevent dementia and Alzheimer's disease, right? Or, or lower the risk. Uh, lower the risk is, is probably the better term, right? So, and by the way, uh, you know already that uh, I'm not an expert in, you know, neurology or brain health, right? But I, I think I like to consider myself one who's very curious about how we can live as men, how we can live longer and better. And within that comes this idea of, you know, I just don't want to live only longer. I want to be able to function and I want my brain to work well. And I am you, right? I, I'm no different than you guys. So I'm actually oftentimes curious for, my, uh, for myself as well, right? So I don't think today's episode is about my expertise in brain health and neurology. My expertise is on holistic and integrative interventions to urological and prostate, no question, but how do we live better with age? I'm talking from that perspective. I, I go to many conferences and sometimes I listen to talks on these things, So, and I have researched on it extensively for the person who's not an expert. So Another reason why I'm so interested in this field is because, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever played. Have you ever played a, uh, a high school sport? Did you, did you ever play a high school sport? Baseball, basketball, football, tennis, soccer, anything? I have. I did. I, I played um, high school football. And I think that high school coaches play a big role in the development of these young men uh, in high school. They are either their second father because they spent a lot of time with them, or oftentimes they're their primary father, as it was the case, you know, where I grew up in the Bronx, where oftentimes some of my teammates just didn't have fathers around. So oftentimes these high school coaches were our fathers. Our high school football coach died with Alzheimer's disease, and, and it, was, it was brutal. This was a an intelligent man, a, a man with a lot of integrity, a man who you know raised two beautiful children, a man who really volunteered his time. He wasn't paid to coach us. 
uh, if I know the details correctly, or at least he didn't need to. He had a business, um, but he always liked to coach football. And so we were his extended family. And he developed Alzheimer's disease and died from it. And I remember going to his wake and how uh, sad it was and visiting him while he had the disease with some of my good friends and uh, ex-teammates. And I tell you, Alzheimer's disease is brutal, not only to the patient, the person suffering from it, but to the family, to the family. It is not a scenario where the person with Alzheimer's necessarily dies quickly. No, it's a long, arduous process, decline, where they can be belligerent at times. They can walk outside of the house and get lost and and so forth. And it is really, really a hard thing for family members, spouses, and their kids. And he lasted eight years with it, then died eight years after a diagnosis. I remember him coming to me for help. This was uh, when I first started at my current position at uh, NYU. And he said, look, I, I'm losing my, my, I think I'm losing my memory here. I can't remember and recall things. And at the time, I didn't know what to make of it. Now we're talking maybe 12 years ago. I didn't know what to make of that information because, again, not necessarily my expertise. And he came to me and I said, look, I, I don't know what's going on. Then later on, he got evaluated and his family called me and said, yep, he it's Alzheimer's. Okay. So this is an area that's near and dear to my heart. This is an area that, uh, because of what I just told, this is an area that you care about quite a bit. Because I think that if I know anything from you, yeah, you want to live longer, but you want quality, quality life. You want functionality. You want to be able to do the things that you want to do for as long as possible, and you want to keep your memory and not have cognitive decline or things like Alzheimer's. Here's an interesting fact. Out of the top 10 causes of disease that lead to mortality, death, top 10, cardiovascular, cancer, uh, diabetes, uh, strokes, vehicle accidents, uh, suicides, Alzheimer's. Men die more frequently from all things than women. Men often develop these diseases more often than women, with one exception, Alzheimer's disease. So women suffer from Alzheimer's 65% of the times more than men ironically. But obviously, you still have a 35% chance and many men suffer from it as well. So we're going to talk about that. All right. To make it simple, what we're trying to accomplish here with memory and brain function is we want these neurons, right? These are brain cells. We want these neurons in our brain to talk to each other, right? You want them to connect. The more neurons are able to connect in our brain, the better the ability of we have to sustain brain function and not have cognitive decline and reduce the risk of Alzheimer's and de- dementia, okay? So that's a very lame and simple term. How can we have these neurons connect to each other for as long as possible and for as healthy as possible, optimally, right? So with everything I say, this is the goal that we have in mind, right? It seems that there's a wear and tear aspect to brain health as it is with the rest of our bodies if we don't do the right things, if 
So there is pathological aging. This is aging that comes along with all kinds of health problems as you get older. And then there's successful aging, right? This is good maintenance of physical and mental well-being. You stay functionally independent. You don't need the help of others as you get older. You don't really develop chronic diseases. You have the ability to adapt to change, right? This is successful aging. You know, it's always interesting when some of the older population are resistant to technology, right? They're having a difficult time adapting to change. So adapting to change is also part of successful aging. The ability to maintain balance and prevent falls, the ability to compensate for whatever limitations, physical limitations exist, that's successful aging. The capacity to age successfully is variable and it depends, you know, from individual to individual. So, but ultimately what we want to accomplish is successful aging. And what we want to avoid is pathological aging, you know, things like depression, uh, sensory problems, balance problems, cardiovascular disease, cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, all these things. And this goes right along with, you know, how do we keep good quality, optimal brain functioning, right? So I want to break this down in several ways. Of course, I'm going to highlight the main areas from a natural and lifestyle perspective to make that happen. Number one, exercise. Exercise. Look, we have to face the fact that physical exercise is likely the most powerful and best medicine for almost anything. Physical exercise. You and I go into business together and we bottle and patent physical exercise. It would be a trillion dollar drug. Okay? So then physical exercise is very important to avoiding the risk of cognitive decline, memory, and Alzheimer's, and dementia. Now, I need to make a very important distinction here because a lot of the studies that talk about exercise really refer to it as physical activity. And I think that's a misnomer. I think that those two terms, physical activity and physical exercise, are used interchangeably, and that is incorrect. Because physical activity, in previous episode, I broke that down quite a bit, so I won't get into it a whole lot, but I'll say this. Physical activity is any movement, literally any, any physical movement, including you know you sitting down and, and grabbing uh, uh, Doritos from a bowl and eating Doritos, which obviously that's not great for cognition, dementia, or Alzheimer's, right? You know, just any type of walking to the bathroom, to the store, around the mall, right? So that's physical activity. So I don't think that physical activity cuts it. Now, there is some benefit from physical activity when we're counting some, when we're counting steps. So even in a slow pace walk, for example, if you get 8,000 to 10, you know, the 10,000 step rule, but 8,000 is also, so between 8,000 and 10,000 steps is a good thing. Now, if you're serious, okay, if you're serious about uh, keeping good brain health, lowering the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's, if you're serious about it, that, that, in, uh, uh, that by itself won't cut it. Just 
you know, 8,000 steps, 10,000 steps a day of of low low pace walking, it's not going to cut it. It's good. It's good. It's not optimal. So my suggestion is that most of the steps be um, higher intensity. So, and which leads me to physical exercise, physical exercise. And physical exercise is different. Physical exercise increases the intensity. There's more planning involved. There's more, okay, I'm going to get on a treadmill for 30 minutes and I'm going to do a brisk walk with an elevation of two degrees, let's just say, but 30 minutes. And I'm going to kind of increase my heart rate, right? Uh, uh, Intensity requires um, strength training. And I'm going to talk about that as it relates to dementia and Alzheimer's in a little bit. Um, uh, increase the intensity. So, yeah, you can pick up five-pound weights, and maybe that's a good starting point for you, right? Because the idea here is it doesn't matter where you're starting from, okay? It doesn't matter. where. I've never worked out. Okay, no problem. Let's start now. Oh, I've been off of it, man. I can't believe that, you know, I, you know, I used to work out all the time. I haven't worked out in five, ten years. No problem. Let's start today. Man, in you know, a couple of weeks, I've been off of it. Now I'm having a hard time you know, getting back into it. No problem. Today's the day. You don't need to be motivated. You just need to go and do it. So from a in physical exercise perspective, we want to increase the in- intensity. We want to plan for it. We want to do strength training where, you know, Using the analogy, five pound weights, and you, you know you do, and you rep, you curl 10, 10 reps, no problem. Well, if you can still curl another twenty repetitions, then the, that's not good intensity. And my suggestion, and again, I'm not going to get into the weeds as it relates to exercise because this this particular podcast episode is about increasing the risk of brain health and lowering the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. But you have to do more physical exercise and increase the intensity. That's the bottom line. And again, eight. 1,000 steps, 10,000 steps is good. I'm not undermining that. But let's do a little bit better than good. Let's do great. You know, if we want to age successfully, we have to behave like athletes because aging is a sport, right? You've heard, me, you've heard me say that before. Aging is a sport, so let's train. Let's train for it. All right. One of the things that exercise does, physical exercise does with the nerve cells is what's called, it promotes neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the adaptive, you know, structural and functional changes that occur in the body where the nervous system always changes with different stimuli, right? So whatever stimuli that the nerve cells are exposed to, they continue to change with time. And you want the these brain cells to continue to adapt to change in a favorable manner. That's called neuroplasticity. And the only reason I'm saying this word is because you're going to hear a lot about that as you hear about brain health and the um, uh, lowering the risk of many things. You're going to hear that word neuroplasticity. Again, so that's the adaptive process of different stimuli that comes to the nerves of the uh, of the brain neurons uh, or the rest of the nervous system. And so we want to be able to adapt favorably, right? So exercise helps to promote neuroplasticity. Again, what's the goal? The goal is for all these neurons to continue to talk to each other. They need to continue to talk to each other. The less healthy neurons that are capable of talking to each other, the more cognitive decline we will experience. The more these neurons talk to each other, the better we'll do. Okay. 
So neuroplasticity helps with that process. So how do we promote that exercise? Exercise, I always say four to six hours a week. I think that's a good prescription. I think three hours a week of moderate to high intensity and about three hours a week of uh, lower intensity is fine. You know, it's lower intensity, just keep moving. Sometimes what I do, I get on a treadmill and I listen to a podcast as I'm getting on a treadmill. I listen to an audio book, right? Low pace, probably 3.5 speed, nothing crazy, maybe not even elevation, right? Just like flat, okay? And then another hour and a half to two hours of moderate to high intensity. What else? What else can you do? You know, you want to know when you go to your doctor, there's a couple of of biomarkers that are associated with Alzheimer's. One is a genetic biomarker called APO4E. APO4E. Okay? And APO4E is a gene that increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease by about 60%. You want to know that information because if you need motivation, and again, as it relates to exercise, as it relates to eating right, as it relates to many things, I'm not asking you to be motivated necessarily because who wakes up in the morning and says, oh my God, I can't wait to go to the gym or go for a run. A few of you do, I get it, but most of us don't, (laughs) right? So forget about motivation, just go do it. But if you do need some motivation, I think that if you know you, if you have this gene, that's a motivating factor to reduce the risk. So you may or may not have a family history, but you may have this gene, or you may have this gene and have a family risk history of Alzheimer's disease. So you want to make sure that you know this. So that's a blood test. Some other blood test that is important is HDL, all right? That's a, a lipoprotein that's associated with cholesterol. So people call it good cholesterol, which is such a bad misnomer is not even funny because it's not even cholesterol, the lipolipid protein, protein, you know? So it's a, this molecule that is on the outside is fat and the inside is protein. And the reason why it's important is because this transports cholesterol. So the higher HDL, and I know that uh, cardiologists and many doctors say, well, it's good cholesterol, the higher is better. And, and it seems to, to be the case for cardiovascular disease, though that's debatable. We're going to talk about that in a future episode. But it does seem to be associated with lower risk of Alzheimer's. So higher HDL, lower risk of Alzheimer's disease. So you want to know your HDL and you want that to be, you know, at a good level higher than perhaps 50 or so. The other biomarker is blood glucose. So glucose and hemoglobin A1C seem to be very tightly associated with Alzheimer's. Higher blood glucose, fasting, of course, more risk of Alzheimer's. Same thing with hemoglobin A1C. So hemoglobin A1C, uh, so when you take blood tests, right, and you look at glucose, that's the glucose in your blood that day, right? It doesn't tell you about what, you know, what your glucose was yesterday. It doesn't tell you what your glucose was uh, months ago, that day. Hemoglobin A1C tells you the idea of, of some, it's like a video of how your blood glucose was within the last three months or so. And so you want to get a hemoglobin A1C. Um, a good number is around 5.0 of hemoglobin A1C. Okay. The other biomarker is homocysteine. Homocysteine is a very important biomarker, oftentimes, again, used for cardiovascular disease. So making us to assess uh, risk of cardiovascular disease. But homocysteine seems to be very good also for Alzheimer's. Sometimes you need to just ask your doctors for these 
I don't want to get on a different soapbox. I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but I think that, and I work with really, I work in an amazing institution and I'm not just saying this to, <laughs> for any other reason that is the truth. Uh, um, you know, I, risk of, you know, my job being in jeopardy there. I'm not saying that for that reason, but I, I work in an amazing institution, a medical institution, and I work with amazing medical doctors for acute care, surgical procedures, things like that. Medicine is amazing, but to prevent health problems, or to treat chronic problems, chronic diseases, um, I think we could do better. And I think once you start implementing the natural and holistic approaches, that is the way to be better. And so then an integrative medicine approach is what we want, right? I say that because when you go to your doctor, they're not going to automatically order these tests. Some may, some may not. And also looking outside the box, right? Homocysteine associated with cardiovascular disease. And some doctors will say, well, there's no association, so now I won't order it. Other, other doctors say, well, I'll, I'll definitely order it because I think it is a good thing and so forth. So we're not all on the same page. And I think that you want to be proactive, intelligently, uh, respectfully, be proactive. And say, so, look, can we order this homocysteine level? Can we look at my APO4E just to see if I, you know, if I have this gene or not? Can we look at homocysteine levels? Can we look at every cardiovascular panel has HDL? So, so HDL, homocysteine, AP, APO4E, and homocysteine. Did I say that already? So homocysteine, <laughs> maybe I need my, uh, my exercise for my brain function today. Homocysteine, HDL, blood glucose, hemoglobin A1C, and APO4E. Okay? You want to see what that looks like, along with family history, of course. The other one is triglycerides. That's one that I miss. Again, triglycerides is fat in your, in your serum, in your blood. Triglycerides is also associated when it's very high to Alzheimer's. Okay, so you want that in the mix. And again, that's a common, triglycerides is a common blood biomarker for cardiovascular disease. All right, so we got that down. So now, and we exercise, what biomarkers to look for, diet. What's a diet? You know, a recent study showed that ultra-processed foods, ultra-processed foods is tightly connected to cognitive decline. So that's dementia. Okay? So ultra-processed foods. These are sweet foods. These are breakfast cereals, sugar, ice cream, processed meats, processed meats. So not necessarily unprocessed meats. In fact, unprocessed meats might be good for prevention of Alzheimer's, for example, because you need some iron and iron seems to be a fine thing to help against dementia. But ultra processed meats are a problem. These frozen meals and so forth, simple carbohydrates, breads and too much bread and uh, processed foods. The good news is that you don't have to be 100% good. You should be about 80% good. So that means that for every 10 foods you eat, about eight should be high quality, clean foods, fruits and vegetables, good quality meats, fish, nuts and seeds. And I would also suggest fasting, not eating so much. I think that's also a very good thing. I think, you know, I say this often, I think the main problem with eating is that we eat too much. So eat less, whether it's calorie restriction or time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, whatever, it's the approach that will help you eat less whatever works for you, but eat less. And stay away from ultra-processed foods or at least limit it to about only 20% of, the, of your diet. What else? It turns out that supplements can help. So in terms of vitamins, 
vitamin E, vitamin E seems to lower the risk of Alzheimer's disease and helps with brain function. Vitamin E. Okay. Vitamin E. Now here's the story with vitamin E. When you go to the supplement store to get vitamin E or a formula that has vitamin E, you want natural vitamin E. And I'm about to get into some details here that may be confusing, but hopefully not. The truth is that there's two families of vitamin E, right? There's tocopherol and there's tocotrienols, okay? So the ones that I'm talking about mostly here is tocopherol because these are the ones that you find in most supplements. Yes, there are tocotrienols available and that might be helpful. But tocopherols is mostly what we're talking about and certainly what we're talking about as it relates to the study that I'm, that I'm referring to. Within tocopherols, there's alpha, beta, gamma, and delta tocopherol, okay? If you turn the back of the supplement, it looks, and it says DL-alpha tocopherol. That's a synthetic type of vitamin E. You don't want that. You want mixed tocopherols that has alpha, beta, gamma, and delta, okay? That's the better type, more natural type of vitamin E. In fact, you need gamma tocopherol to keep enough of the other ones inside the cell to do good work. And as it relates to prostate problems, you want higher gamma tocopherol. You always want higher gamma tocopherol within the rest of the, of the group, okay? As it relates to lowering the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's, you want gamma tocopherol, about 400 units a day, okay? About 400 units a day of mixed tocopherol, mixed tocopherol, vitamin E. So vitamin E helps. What else helps? Acetyl-L-carnitine. Acetyl-L-carnitine helps, again, helps with brain function, mitochondria. I'm getting into the weeds here, mitochondria. Um, so every cell has this little thing called the mitochondria. It's like the energy source for the cell. And sometimes there's decline in mitochondria. And we want more healthy, robust mitochondria. So acetyl-L-carnitine helps with that, as does CoQ10. Vitamin E seems to help. So vitamin E is lipid soluble. So it's fat soluble. Guess what? You have a fat brain. And so do I. We all have fat brains. Why? Because our brain is very fatty. So mainly lipid soluble antioxidants are the ones that can pass through the blood brain barrier and help you against what's called oxidation, which if we're talking about neurons talking to each other, we want to prevent excessive oxidation, right? So vitamin E helps with that, and it's lipid-soluble, so it gets to the brain. So acetyl-L-carnitine and folate. Folate. Folate is also very good for brain health and uh, lowering the risk of dementia and, and Alzheimer's, okay? And that's um, B vitamins, but I think that Acetyl-L-carnitine, vitamin E, folate, you know, those are, those are very good. How about some botanicals, right? Botanicals, there are quite a few that helps with brain health. One is lion's mane. It's a mushroom, uh, lion's mane mushroom. Uh, the other is bacopa monieri. Bacopa monieri is like the, the equivalent of ginkgo biloba, which most people know is good for brain health, except that I think it's even, might be even better. Because it again, it helps with this neuron to neuron connection. Bacopa. Hooperzine A, Irish moss comes from Irish moss. Hooperzine A 
helps quite a bit. And yes, ginkgo biloba is also very good for cognition and brain health. So those are my favorite botanicals to keep you well with memory and prevention of Alzheimer's and dementia. All right, I'm going to end with this. As you know, I always try to keep it holistic, but realistic. Once you hit a certain age, whatever that is for you, I hear some young guys talking I'm old. Uh, They're in their 40s. Oh, well, I'm getting old. Shut up, man. (laughs) Shut up. Hey, really? You're 40 years old and you're getting old? So this idea of I'm getting old can start, and that way of thinking can start at any age. So don't let an old man move into your brain. Don't think old. If you happen to forget where you left your keys, I think that if you continuously think, oh my God, my memory is failing. Uh, I forgot where I'm, I can't believe I forgot where I left my keys. Uh, I'm telling you, I need help with my memory. Then more of that is going to happen. Okay. Everyone forgets where they left their keys or their wallet. Or, and one of the reasons is because we have a lot of things going on in our heads, a lot of inputs. And if you don't control all the inputs, right, all these notifications of what's happening in the news, constant looking on the internet and all these things coming in our heads, our family obligations, our work obligations, health, we're going to forget things. It's just too much. It's too much, too many inputs at once. And our brains are not developed to really deal with constant exposure to social media and and devices, electronical devices. We're just not built for it. Okay. So I would say that stop thinking old. You forget something. It's okay. We're all forgetting things here and there. And part of the reason is because your brain is too cluttered. So I think that in order to maintain our ability to think clearly and keep our memory, we need to unclutter our brains, unclutter our brains. Okay. And just don't let, don't let an old man move in. Now, lastly, and this is really it. Some men with advanced prostate cancer have to undergo androgen deprivation therapy, where now testosterone is depleted from their bodies. And that is to, with intent of these men to live longer, not die from prostate cancer. And that's a good thing. I would suggest for men to test for the APO4E gene and see if it's positive or if they have, obviously, if they have a family history of Alzheimer's. Because if you do, and I'm not saying that you you can't go on ADT, androgen deprivation therapy, because sometimes it's a cause-benefit analysis, but then you want to make sure that, ask your doctor, are there other options? Because ADT is associated with cognitive decline and even Alzheimer's. It's association, correlation, not causation, but still, it's a conversation to have. It's a conversation to have. All right. So remember, don't let an old man move into your body. (laughs) All right. This is Dr. Gio signing off. I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more 
by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Gio Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.